Your sensors are correct. Do not adjust your heading. Your heading. You've discovered the Omega Particle. Streaming to the Alpha Quadrant and beyond. 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 Here's your host. The anchorman of the Federation. The doctor of Dilithium. This is Jonathan Wiegand. Greetings and welcome to the Omega Particle. I am your gracious and humble doctor of Dilithium. Some call me the Anchorman of the Federation. We are now streaming across the fruited plain known as the Alpha Quadrant with half my brain tied behind my back, just to make it fair. Uh, Welcome again to today's program. I know for me this has been an episode that I've always wanted to do. DS9 is my favorite Star Trek show, and it kind of at the end of that um, series finale called What We Leave Behind always left me wanting kind of more, even though I know, again, spoilers, if you haven't finished DS9, probably stop listening right now because you don't want to know how the crew ends up. So um, I just want to put that out there. So it's like, yeah, I wanted to see how you know, these main characters did. I mean, I know it gave us a little bit of a preview, like some went to Starfleet Academy, some stayed on DS9 and and took higher promotions or or what have you. But for me, it's kind of like, I wanted to kind of see in the Star Trek quote-unquote canon what actually happened to them. And and thankfully now we have um, Discovery, Lower Decks, kind of give us a little insight, um, sometimes little jokes about what happened to these people or their significance and influence, which we'll get into but yeah, it's um, kind of convoluted. Uh, there's a lot of timelines and different things like that that are contradicting at some points, and we're going to get into that. But before we do, I just want to say thank you so much for the reception. We are having a Thanksgiving show uh, sometime this week. I know not everyone who listens to the podcast is an American and, and celebrates Thanksgiving, but no matter where you are, it is always fun to reflect and talk about your gratefulness and your um, appreciation for everything around you. So I think that's important, no matter your nationality. Right, Luna? Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. All right, Luna, let's light this candle and get into it. So as before, this happens a lot, especially with the Voyager crew, there are often several different paths penned by multiple authors um, and different video games and, and things like that. But there are generally two categories. You have what I like to call the Star Trek Destiny timeline, quote unquote, the first splinter timeline. I'm just going to call it the Destiny timeline. And then you have, um, which is the Destiny timeline is based on the books. Just oversimplification there. It's based on the books, comics, things like that. And then you have the Star Trek Online timeline which is based on the games and short stories. And um, sometimes they agree on points and sometimes not. So I'll kind of recount both to paint an idea of the character future. But of course, canon, like things in the show that we know are canon, kind of trumps all. So that's obviously there. Yeah, to begin with, we're going to start with the big honcho himself, Mike Honcho. uh, That's Benjamin Sisko, Captain Benjamin Sisko. Starting off, I mean, the emissary is taken away and again if you haven't watched ds9 this will make these next couple sentences will not make a lick of sense to you so as we know just to recap he was saved by the prophets 
from the fire caves on Bajor. Um, and they pulled him into the Celestial Temple. And we don't know if it was going to be for a year, if it was going to be for 10 years or what. But um, he arrived there and he was like, okay, I'm definitely going to be returning to Bajor. I'm going to be returning to, I guess, our plane of reality at some point in the future. In the books, it actually occurred relatively quickly. Um, he came back in 2378 on the day of his and Cassidy Yates' daughter's birth. Um, which makes total sense and kind of lines up because I know Avery Brooks, again, one of the most pivotal roles in all of Star, um, Star Trek, number one, but also science fiction. He wanted to portray a, a good father, especially a good African-American father. So it was important to him that he would never like leave Jake or pull a wharf and, you know, just be like, well, I just sent him away. And so the fact that the writer's in this um, Destiny timeline brought him back for the birth of his other child, totally lines up with the direction and kind of um, end game that Avery Brooks wanted for the character. But in the books, we also see that even when he's in the temple, he was able to reach out to people and influence certain events through prophetic visions, kind of like the prophets did on occasion beforehand. And then, I mean, after the birth of his daughter, um, there's a couple more events that had him move to his planned home on Bajor and with his family and he was continuing his role as emissary, um, at least for a year. I mean, he even um, turned down the promotion admiral. So that's a very big deal. I know that um, a lot of captains don't do that, but a lot of captains do. But moving into more into the kind of like destiny timeline, as I talked about, we have a renewed Borg invasion of 2381. Um, so that prompted him to return back to active duty in Starfleet, leave Bajor, leave his main emissary role, and become captain of the USS New York. And this time in the books and the time of the conflict also like coincided with the loss of his father, which caused him to reconsider his whole entire position in Starfleet. But again, he ultimately remained I mean, it makes sense because, like, his father was such a pivotal, influential role. Like, he would come to New Orleans for the restaurant to kind of bounce ideas and, and these dilemmas. And it was a refuge, you know, place to go and, and kind of rethink and just rediscover who he is. It was a grounding place. So I totally see him kind of, do I even want to be in Starfleet? Is this the right thing? Especially after that whole um, Dominion changeling mess and scare and his dad being like, you ain't sticking me and taking my blood. <laughs> Anyway, and he actually, him and his family actually ended up on the Galaxy class USS Robinson and stayed there till 2386. But like I said, some of the timelines don't add up. So we, we were just talking about the Destiny timeline. Now we're talking about Star Trek Online, and it has none of this. It's having him stay in the Celestial Temple until 2411, and that's it. There's nothing more than that. He's just hanging out in the Celestial Temples with the Prophets doing profity things. I kind of like the Destiny timeline more. Um, he was very involved in Jake's life and his children's lives. And I, I don't see him just like disappearing for 40 or 50 years and being like, oh, bye. You know, um, I definitely see him coming back and being in that emissary role, still in communion with the prophets, but also still having his loyalty to Starfleet too. So I think that's, I think that works canon wise. Um, I would love something more, um, a little bit more concrete, and I don't know if we'll ever get Avery Brooks back. Um, I did a great uh, podcast episode on this, like, where in the world's Avery Brooks? 
And he, I think he's kind of happy in retirement. So I don't know if he'll ever come back. But I know for me, I would, I would love to see him. He's one of my favorite captains. So we'll see. But that has been the story of Benjamin Sisko, the emissary, after DS9 kind of wrapped up. Okay, so moving on to the next, uh, the next biggie. I guess you could say biggie. Is that wrong? I don't know. The next big character is Kira Norris, that lovable scrap of a rebellion fighter that turns into a great leader. So in both continuities, Star Trek Online and the Destiny timeline, um, Bajor joins the Federation, and the only difference being the date. And we're not gonna Star Trek it up. <laughs> I use that as a verb. Like, we're not going to be like, no, well, technically it was 2378 in the online game. Like, no, we're not going to do that. That's fine. Since Bajor joined the Federation, um, a lot of Bajoran militia personnel were offered positions in Starfleet. And Kira, of course, maintained her Starfleet commission and became the commanding officer of Deep Space Nine, as we see. Um, she remained in the position. Um, she definitely juggled her duties to Bajor with new requirements of a Starfleet officer, and then also walking that beautiful political line station commander needed. But So it's again, it's even more of an interesting role than Benjamin Sisko had at the very beginning because he was just a Starfleet officer and turned into the emissary. Now it's kind of like the same side of the coin, if that makes any sense. Now you have this person who's been fought for Bajor, bled for Bajor, did all of these things for the for Bajor, and then now it's in a Starfleet position. So again, I think that would be really interesting to see, to bring that back. I would watch that as a show. Oh my gosh, yes. And it wouldn't be fan service. It'd be a great story. So in 2378, um, she actually stepped down from the position and began her training as a Vedic, completing the training in three years. So in 2378, she stepped down from her um, Starfleet position, gave up her commission, and began training as a Vedic. And she actually completed the training in three years. And um, eventually by 2409, which is about 30, 40 years later, um, she ascended to the position of Kai. And so I think that's wild that she became Kai. Because I know her faith was always really important to her, and we kind of see that throughout um, the seven seasons of DS9 kind of put her in sometimes awkward positions between um you know starfleet commission at the very end and and loyalty to bajor however i'm just not completely sold on this i definitely don't see her getting into the politics of kai um especially with her past history you know with kai win and then um but we shall see um love to hear you guys thoughts about this i know for me it's it's kind of one i'm not 100 percent sold but there is actually a great short story covering this. Um, yeah, if you reach out, I can share that with you and get the link. It's um, pretty pretty interesting, and that kind of makes more sense, but um, I don't want to tread too lightly on here because I think that may be like copyrighting issue because it's actually like not protected. I don't know. I don't know. Luna's just shaking her head at me. We're, we're trying to figure this out. But um, moving on to probably some would say the most important person in all of Starfleet. <laughs> and if you've watched Lower Decks, um, then you know exactly who I'm talking about. And that is Miles Edward O'Brien. Nothing like the Cardi Hayton, chief engineer of DS9. <laughs> yeah, so as you all know, at the, just a little recap, at the end of DS9, um, we see him accept a teaching position on Earth at Starfleet Academy as a professor of engineering, which is really cool. Um, I think he would have been great at it. And 
it doesn't last though. And I really like what they did with the Destiny timeline. And again, would be a great show. <laughs> and it's something I would totally love to see. Because as we know, at the end of the Dominion War, the destruction on Cardassia is just immense and absolutely over the top. And I was actually going to um, go through and do a book review on Elam and what happens after DS9 for him and he has a book out. But people are just like, it's like $120 on eBay. I was like, I'm not doing that. (laughs) And that's what happens to Elam. He goes back to Cardassia and actually helps rebuild Cardassia and becomes a great influential leader in Cardassian politics again. However, so I think this is a great kind of cyclical people learning, coming around their prejudices and, and issues. And that's that the Federation actually helped like rebuild Cardassia in something called the Andak Project in 2376. This was an agricultural initiative to kind of restore the long abused environment of Cardassia and turn it into sustainable farmland. And guess who headed that program? None other than Keiko O'Brien, which meant the O'Brien family had to relocate there. So now we have Miles O'Brien on Cardassia, and his wife is leading this huge um, environmental cleanup and restoration on the planet. So I I think that's really wild. And um, again, I, I think even if it was like, you know, Star Trek shorts or something like that, you see him like 20 years in the future on Cardassia working or, or maybe even just like them moving out of Cardassia and, and seeing it, like how they changed it and rebuilt it. I think that'd been really cool to see, but we'll see. I doubt we're going to get any of these projects, but that's what happened to them. Um, now, even in the destiny timeline goes even further. And uh, again, this is kind of getting really into Star Trek weeds. They, in the books now we have DS nine actually being destroyed And this book is kind of an offshoot, so it's really not kind of canon. And again, we're kind of getting blurry because what is canon, what's not canon. Um, So DS9 is destroyed and a replacement built. So I understand that, but like, is it like Teroknor 4 or something? I don't know. Um, And then O'Brien comes back as chief engineer in 2383, but he received a promotion. So it's Master Chief Petty Officer. So yes, (laughs) Uh, O'Brien became a Master Chief interpret that as you will yeah so that's what happens to the great most influential man in starfleet miles edward o'brien now there's a very interesting one coming up and that's what happens to esri dax now one of the more controversial characters in all of star trek so as you know um the actress that played uh, Jadzia Dax got in contract negotiations and issues and she actually left to go be on a show called becker at the end of season six in Star Trek. So that's where we see her get killed and they bring in a new actress and this time it's Esri Dax. So she has the Dax symbiote. This is actually kind of one of the more interesting cases because it really splits um, between the books and the video game. So for the initial time, she actually remained on DS9, learning more about the previous Dax host and kind of developing based on her experiences there. Um, and she actually switched divisions. She actually switched to command and and began her path to the captaincy. And I mean, that's I think that's really smart. She had hundreds of years of knowledge from Dax to go on and plus Jedzia. So I think it had been great opportunity and kind of a waste if she didn't try to get into command. And um, so in 2380, the USS Aver- 
Aventine? Aventine. Luna. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Starfleet's first quantum slipstream vessel was fielded, and Esri Dax was selected as second officer. Now, I know this is going to get kind of messy because, like I mentioned before, like the timeline things, some books have the first quantum slipstream being like an offshoot of Voyager. But strictly for Esri, we're just going to go with with this Destiny timeline about her um, being in the first quantum slipstream vessel and her being second officer. So in the Borg battles of this Destiny timelines, both the captain and the um, first officer were killed. So she actually ended up in command a lot earlier than she expected, which is not good. Um, you know, you never want to get in command that way. But she remained there, and then she kind of kept taking promotions until she got the captaincy um, a couple years later. So she got a real taste for command and kind of showed her um, gumption, as they would say it, (laughs) um, to become a captain. And so that's really awesome. So in 2401, Star Trek Online, she and Bashir retire in protest from Starfleet over the Federation's inaction to get involved in the Klingon-Gorn War. And they return to Trill together where Bashir opens a private practice. And eventually Esri resumes her old posting on Aventine by 2410 and she's still in command of the ship and undertaking missions alongside with alongside Bashir and their children. So um, I kind of like that Star Trek online more than the Destiny one because um, in the Destiny one, she just remains like captain and then her and Bashir split up. And they just kind of go off in their own different paths. So there is some continuity there that she does become captain of the Aventine. But the only difference is that in the Star Trek Online, her and Bashir stay together. And then she eventually goes back to become captain. But in the books and Destiny, you know, they just split up all together. And she's still a captain, but she's not in a relationship. And being a captain in a relationship could be very difficult, um, especially if your husband... Um, was like probably chief medical officer on board. So that, that could definitely be awkward um, because as we know, the chief medical officer is the only person on a ship that can command the captain to do anything. So um, that would be a little bit weird. However, speaking of the great genetically modified Julian Bashir, like Esri, this one diverges quite a bit between the Destiny and the Star Trek Online and games community. Um, and again, when I say Star Trek Online, I mean just like, everything, (laughs) all the games. So I've already alluded to his path and Esri's like potential future, but in the destiny timeline, him and Esri split up boob. Cause I think, I think they were great. I think they should remain a couple. They were awesome on the show together. And I think it'd be kind of sad if they did, they did break up. So in the destiny timeline, Bashir remained on aboard DS nine, eventually rekindling his romance with Serena Douglas, who, if you don't remember, she was the um, genetically modified um, woman who could not speak, and then she did speak, and then she was brilliant, and then her and Brashear hit it off, and then sadly, she lost her ability to speak again, and yeah, so I thought it was one of the saddest episodes, but then again, she eventually comes around, and they just eventually have to leave each other, and she has to go away, so that's just the way it is. Serena now, in this timeline, is actually a... Section 31 agent, which is really pretty wild. Um, so he kind of rekindles the romance with her. And then Bashir goes on to create a cure because there was a problem with Andorian reproductive issues in 2385. But he was involved in like kind of genetic alterations on Andoria. 
and um, got him discharged from Starfleet, which is kind of, I mean, it's sad, but then again, it's like, okay, it makes sense. But then I, I, I didn't like that because I feel like Starfleet probably would have understood, but they've already given him so much length at the same time. So it's, it's kind of one of those things nerds can debate. This is the weeds of, of Star Trek. Um, so after he's kind of discharged from Starfleet, he goes on to infiltrate Section 31. He finally kind of gives into all the recruitment attempts, and um, he exposes the organization to the public. And he, um, I guess you could say, he beats the control program running it all. Uh, maybe it's a prelude or something kind of tie back to um, Discovery and Control. I mean, to me, I, I don't, I don't mind the Section Thirty One thing and going after Control and, and being that kind of secret agent he always wanted to be on the holodeck. I kind of do prefer the crime, like, the timeline of him winding up on the Aventine with, with Ezri. I think that's kind of nice and whatever. <laughs> and this is kind of where Starfleet, Starfleet, Star Trek Online has him as a chief medical officer. So I think, I think that would, just, personally, I think that just works out better. Um, yeah, so it's like I mentioned before, there is some confusion with the slipstream because Admiral Janeway's USS Dauntless was the Federation slipstream prototype, but in the Destiny timeline, it's the um, Aventine. So just precursor, I don't want to get a bunch of emails and stuff about it. <laughs> it's, it's, it is what it is, and there we have it. Again, moving on to one of the more interesting and late additions to DS9 is Worf. Long story short, my friend and I, Jason, I think we were a couple years ago, we were walking around Washington, D.C. We are like, a funny restaurant would be called Wharf's Wharf, and they would do like seafood and be like Wharf's Wharf. Um, either way, I, do you know, fun fact, Luna, that was actually like a testing name for the podcast, was Wharf's Wharf, but yeah, we decided against it. Um, <laughs> either way, so um, yeah, Wharf is, I mean, we're definitely going to get a canon, we know exactly what happened to him timeline. Like he already has that more than any of the characters we've already mentioned before um, because of the movies and etc. But now since he's going to be in Picard season three, boom, we know what we're going to get and it's going to be canon. So if you're listening to this like a couple months down the road, this is not what happens to Picard season three. If it is, that's cool. But just a precursor, this is completely off of, again, the Destiny timeline the books, or Star Trek Online slash the games. Again, he's kind of had his future rewritten in the Prime timeline, and if it holds true to what's been written, um, then he's captain of the Enterprise E now, or at least he was at 2387. Um, After DS9, we know he accepted the role of Federation Ambassador Kronos, left with Martok to kind of undertake that role. In 2379, he returned to the Enterprise for Riker and Troy's wedding and remained and kind of remained aboard for the whole, you know, subsequent uh, Shinzon incident. And then after the loss of Commander Data and Riker departing for the Titan, he elected to remain aboard in the role of first officer. And again, this directly kind of ties into Picard because now we see Picard stepping away from the Enterprise um, to manage a Romulan evacuation in 2382 which as we know was, I'm not going to spoil the first couple seasons of Picard, um, it was a disaster. But uh, Worf was appointed for the position of captain. However, objections were raised over his past reprimands, past issues, but it was ultimately decided that it would foster better relations with the Klingon Empire 
if Worf was captain of the Enterprise E. And to me, his work record is stellar and spotless. So I think I think you could probably be like, yeah, he's the dude for the captaincy. Um, and currently, that is kind of where we leave him at this point. We I know um, he was ambassador for a while. Then he took over the Enterprise E. We really don't. We don't know anything else. So we're just going to have to wait and see till Picard season three. However, later in life, he's often depicted as returning to Kronos and resuming his role as ambassador between the Klingon Empire and the Federation. So maybe that's what we'll see um, this winter when we see season three. Maybe he's kind of like, oh, I'm, I've am i been ambassador, but I was captain of the Enterprise, now I'm back. So we'll, I don't know, man. We'll just have to see um, some interesting stuff. And again, um, moving on, that's Worf is probably the biggest name out of all of this, as you know, because he's kind of what I call like a prime character, like a TNG movie character. So again, um, I'm excited to see where they take him. And I think that's fine. Like if he was the captain of the Enterprise E and then kind of return to Kronos in his old age, I think that's that totally works. Uh, it's not a big deal. So let's move on to Odo, one of the surprising characters in all of... Um, in all of DS9. So we only have a few characters left. We have Nog, and we're going to touch on Quark a little bit. Odo is an interesting one. Um, at the end of DS9, just to recap, he does return to the Great Link and kind of cures them of the Section 31 bioweapon, <laughs> I guess that's what it is, and kind of spread his experience of solid life among them. Doing so actually helps the Great Link and, and kind of the founders because it, it brings a slight level of compassion and therefore the dominion is kind of a little less militant on approach sometimes however the dominion is still the dominion and change doesn't come overnight again this would be a great show but we'll we'll take it for what we can get you know um he does make the occasional foray back and back to bajor and through the wormhole um but for the most part his duties are bound up with the dominion and his people in 2410, however, he returns to the stage at the head of the Dominion fleet and enters the Alpha Quadrant to help the Federation Bajor against the return of the Hura. The Hura? <laughs> H-U-R apostrophe Q. I, I can never pronounce that, but Hura. And he kind of works as like liaison and helps foster cooperation between um, these two galactic powers. And so that's kind of his work. And remember, changelings are kind of fundamentally immortal. So it's a role that he's suited to to kind of be this influencer in the Alpha Quadrant because he has com- he has compassion and experiences so much with humanoids and Starfleet and then especially ties to Bajor and Kira, um, but also can like work and understand with other species in the Alpha Quadrant as well. I mean, it's going to take a while for the Dominion to, to turn around and be slow just from their past prejudices against humanoids. But I think um, I think there's a lot of resentment to undo, and this is something that will take probably thousands and thousands of years, like the old adage goes. Dominion thinks 2,000, 3,000 years in the future. So, um, yeah, we'll see. But again, I would love an official canon on any of these guys. And speaking of official canon, we actually do get one besides Worf, and that's Nog, the, the, the great... Ferengi Starfleet, I guess eventually captain. So his last appearance we saw, he was promoted to lieutenant junior grade, um, where he kind of continued to serve on DS9 under Kira's command. And according to various books, he takes on roles in both security and engineering. 
eventually leaves DS9 around the mid-2380s. He serves on several ships, say that five times fast, and then including the USS Challenger and works with Montgomery Scott and Jordy LaForge. For a time in 2397, he is the chief engineer on the Enterprise E, and by 2410, he is its captain. So um, kind of wild that he went all the way up in command to command the Enterprise E, and then um, eventually commands the USS Chimera and takes part in numerous events in that timeline. Whatever events the shows do ultimately canonize, we do know one thing. So in, in Discovery, we see 32nd century, some 800 years after DS9, there's a vessel named USS Nog. So clearly he had a notable career. Clearly he was a memorable Starfleet captain, Starfleet officer that they're naming ships after him literally 800 years later. So that's um, really cool. Um, in short, speaking of Frankie, we can mention Quark as we see in Lower Decks. Um, he does become like, in, I mean, even in Picard, you see it a little bit, Easter eggs. He franchises Quarks, becomes this crazy, super wealthy kind of guy. Yeah, becomes a franchise owner all over the galaxy. So clearly enjoying his wealth and stuff like that. Um, if you haven't watched the DS9 episode of Lower Decks, oh my gosh, it's chef's kiss. Amazing. And it's just, it's kind of a homage to DS9. So if you haven't watched that, please do. But that's, I think that's everybody. I think that's everybody we're going to cover, right? All right. We don't got any more under the mat? All right. Thanks, Luna. All right. Let's light this candle. All right. Thank you so much for listening. And again, you can follow us on all social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, is that controversial to be on Twitter now? I don't know. But um, you can always listen to the podcast and the links are there. Also, we're streaming on Apple, Spotify, literally dozens and dozens of other places. So thank you for listening. Always remember to rate, review, and subscribe. And please check out my buddy's uh blog i guess he blogs about over a lot of great movies and sci-fi particularly he's on andor right now so it's jason talks movies at work dot wordpress.com not at wordpress dot wordpress.com so please check out his blog it's really great um longtime friend of the program and then always remember guys we're getting into the holidays so please take care of your mental health it's vitally important and take some time just make sure you get some rest. I mean, I know for me, I'm really looking forward to taking a couple days off um, this Thanksgiving break. But um, speaking of Thanksgiving, we'll have a Thanksgiving episode coming out. I really don't know what that's going to look like, but it's going to be fun. Uh, we might even break out some of the blood wine and Romulan ale again. <laughs> um, either way, thank you so much for listening. And always remember, second start of the right, straight on till morning. <laughs> <laughs>